Today on IFS Talks, we're welcoming Rena Dubin. Rena Dubin is a lead IFS trainer in private practice in Newton, Massachusetts. Her involvement with the IFS community began in 2004. Rena loves being a part of the healing process, which has allowed IFS to become a centerpiece in her work. She's been affiliated with Internal Family Systems of New England since its beginning in 2009 and has been a member of the steering committee for nine years. Rena has a broad background in trauma work and offers supervision and consultation. Rena, thank you so much for being willing to speak with us today and being here on IFS Talks. You're welcome, and thank you for what you're both bringing into this larger community. Thanks, Rena, for willing to sit with us. How is it for you to hear this bio? What parts come up? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I didn't have a lot of reactions except a couple things that could be tweaked later. That, uh, but uh, it was felt like, okay, that's what I do. Glad to be doing it. Rina, could you please tell us a bit more about your journey into the mental health profession? Was there something in your personal life that was determinant for you becoming a psychotherapist? Well, that is an interesting question. I, I come more from a family of teachers and um, my father, who in certain ways was my better and worse parent, um, went from education into becoming a psychologist. And I thought I would be a teacher and yet I uh, was much more drawn to um, this healing work, although I've had a teacher inside of me and um, some of why I, uh, I'm realizing some of why I've uh, stayed in and did so many trainings and all of that was because there were places in me that would block me from coming forward more. And I wanted, I wanted to be able to be sort of more who I'm meant to be. Um, so uh, that's some of how, that's the short version of how I um, began to move into more leadership and trainings. Right. Yeah. So shall we talk a little bit about that, about your your journey into the IFS community and then into, into training? Sure. How did you find, how did you find the model? So, you know, I live in the Boston area, which means everybody overtrains about everything. So... Uh, so I had been EMDR trained and um, uh, Dick was doing his week at the Cape. I, I was EMDR trained some years before, maybe seven years before. And a friend of mine uh, said, you know, so I'm going to do that week on the Cape and I'm renting a house and, you know, are you and other women interested in coming? So I did. And of course, I had an exit strategy that I could, it's not that far, I could come home overnight and all of that. It turned out so did all the other women. But of course, we got really bonded because of our, what happens in this work. Um, so that was my first exposure. And I did that week. So thinking, all right, now I'll get what this is and I won't have to do a training, which of course turned out not to be useful. And then I, the following year, I learned about the week that Dick does at Kripalu. Um, which is an experiential week. So I, I went to that also so I wouldn't have to do a training. And again, I was with four other women. And from there, I jumped into a level one. And then what happened was um, it was a six-weekend style. I uh, 
I would I would start to get it and then it get cloudy and then it get clear and then between the weekends I would slide out of it. So when the training ended, it's like, all right, what am I going to do now to stay in it? And so I started PAing and kept repeating that and then eventually um, got asked about moving up into the AT role, the assistant trainer role. That was when back then. Well, I got invited in 2011. I started in 2012. And just for the the listeners who don't know, PA refers to program assistance of so the thank you support staff in the trainings. Yeah, the support staff and actually the really the front engine of the teaching because they're the people who actually run the practice and home groups. So they are they're actually the front engine of the training in so many ways. What was that like for you becoming a PA? How how did you how did you shift into that role? Well, unlike what has evolved over time with more structure is we had no preparation. Um, there were a lot of difficult dynamics in that training, which I won't get into here. So, um, and, uh, but it, it gave me a sense, it gave me a learning again, partly from what didn't happen about what happens when either leadership isn't in place enough and there's not enough structure or guidance. Um, and so uh, it, it really took till my third time PA where leadership had changed, um, where it started to feel like things were right. And so I had a lot of learning in that about what not to do and what to do. So at the IFS conference in 2019, you presented this work on building confidence and competence as program assistant. You say in IFS trainings, lead trainers teach the model through didactic and experiential exercises. However, participant skills are primarily developed during practice group sessions and home groups run by program assistants. So, as you said, program assistants are the front engine for skill building for the participants. So, Why was that and what was your purpose? Does PAs really need training and preparation? So um, the year before that, in 2018, I had created a workshop about home groups. It was a half day, you know, a three hour workshop because home groups have often been a murky, you know, it's the least structured part of the training. And if the, the PAs don't feel clear about, you know, what is it and how to focus it, Um, it becomes less useful and people are saying, you know, why, why do we have home groups? It's, you know, and other people's home groups settle in and it's a wonderful experience. So I felt like there needed to be more teaching and grounding about what that could be because it's such an important place to practice tracking our own parts and being able to practice speaking for our parts. And I think those are essential skills in this work. So from there, um, I got asked to, to consider doing an all-day workshop and um, I wouldn't say training PAs because it's not a training but but giving a day for people to build their skills in that and so that ha that's what happened in 2019 and I was on track to do it again in 2000 in 2020 a little bit expanded but then of course the pandemic hit and there was no conference so um, so we haven't gone further on that yet But the, the point was to really break down, you know, clarify what the PA role is. Um, and because mainly what PAs are being asked to do is to bring as much self-energy as they can, which means being able to work with their parts and all of that. Uh, because, 
you know, let's say you're a program assistant in a practice group and you have people who don't want to be interrupted. Or, um, <laughs> we know that experience <laughs> quite well. Right, right. You know, and, and how, do, how do we, how do we, so one of the things that happens for newer PAs, of course, is there is more anxiety about a new role and do I have enough on board and what happens and all of that. And yet we're asking PAs to do it with self-energy on board. So, it, you, you know, you can't do both of those things without some support and some guidance and some preparation. And so staff meetings become one place for that. And usually it's the assistant trainer's job to to be the main person to support the staff and to have the staff meeting be like a home group where people can speak for their parts, have some help on blending. Uh, so they get, they're back in their seats because, you know, nobody in a training doesn't get triggered, including the lead trainers and the assistant trainer and the PAs and of course the participants. So, um, you know, how, how do we help settle ourselves and get back in our seat or see, see what our trailheads are so that we, um, we can be present for that next practice group. So what can go wrong when you, you are a program assistant and you have a practice group to, to be present to? What can go wrong? Well, um, mainly any number of things can go wrong. You know, we can get taken over with, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, we can get taken over with shame. Um, We have our own histories about what happens if we feel criticized. Uh, we have parts who compare ourselves to other PAs. And of course, our, our staffs are generally made up of returning PAs and first-time PAs. So, you know, whatever, whatever our vulnerabilities are are going to come up in some way, unless we have the ideal practice group, which sometimes we do. So... Uh, and again, to the degree that we can model that and we can get settled and then we can come back in the next day because the practice group will stay the same for several days and say, uh, so I want to go back and look at what happened yesterday and, and uh, either do a repair or take responsibility if we got triggered in some way that might have impacted somebody, then we're actually, we're in the model. So we're, we are teaching through that example when we can use it. But, you know, again, I have to work my way out of either my critics or my shame or my disappointment or whatever that is that's there. Rina, you also say participants in this experiential workshop that you guided back then, 2019, they will be guided in a variety of exercises by senior PAs who understand firsthand what is required to be successful in this role. So what is required to be successful in this PA role? Well, some of it I've already been building in. Um, the way we set it up is that the morning focused on the practice group experience. So I had one senior PA for every three participants because that's typically what our practice groups are. And we would ask, um, and, and the participants were people sometimes who had already PA'd and wanted to have more on board or were thinking about PAing, being a program assistant. So, um, so we'd ask them to almost create the situations that would feel challenging to them so they'd have a chance to work with that, with the guidance of their PA. So that, that's part of what the practice was. And then in the afternoon, I paired, so I had 12 
helpers. I paired them and then in the afternoon into dyads and we had groups of six participants, which are a little more like home groups. And there was a similar practice there about, um, so each, each, so each of the participants in the home group got to pair off and run the home group for a bit. So they would again have a hands-on experience of what it's like to sit in that seat and they, didn't, they could enroll people if they wanted to, to play the kinds of things that would trigger them. So it's kind of like building in fire drills, you know, in trainings, we often do these fire drills to help people unblend as quickly as they can, even if there's work to do on those parts, at least to, to see if they can unblend some. So that's really what we were setting up. I'm so appreciating that this, that you're doing this. Um, I've peed a number of times and it is such a rich, rewarding, and also incredibly challenging experience. I think I leave every PA experience saying, I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> but then I keep going back. And I'm, I'm curious what you as a lead trainer do in order to create safety or um, connection within your PA groups. Well, again, I, one of the things that I miss about not being an assistant trainer now, because I actually liked a lot about that role, is I have to turn much of that over to the assistant trainer. So I, so uh, my job then is to help support them. And I will step in sometimes if it feels like um, maybe somebody could use a little more on blending and all that. It, it, you know, it depends on the situation and ATs vary, you know, about what they do and all of that. Um, so I think my main role is, um, you know, to support from the top down, you know, if the AT is feeling supported and has a place to go, then, the, then they can extend that more to the program assistants who likewise then extend it to the participants. So that's one of the primary functions, I think, um, in this role. And I have to hold myself back sometimes because I, you know, I, I loved being able to do that. And again, I will step in sometimes and do it, but I'm not the primary person in that anymore. So I've had to let some of that go. As you became a lead trainer, you say? Yeah. Do you do anything to bond the PA group together? Is it, you know, does it just sort of tumble into an organic team or, you know, do you, do you do anything differently with your focus and your experience as a PA than maybe some other lead trainers do? I think most of us do do this, but, you know, we have one or now sometimes two staff meetings before the training begins so that people can begin to get to know each other, can begin to settle in together um, um, as we're clear about who we're pairing for home groups. Um, we There's a sheet now we give that also helps them with how to work with their marriage, which it really is. Um, so... Uh, so that's some of the structuring we do. and. Um, and, we, you know, we try to create space for people to speak for their parts. And if that feels like it's happening safely and then people uh, have the experience of either watching or themselves feeling supported and walk through something, then it creates that much more safety. You know, it becomes this positive loop. Rina, how, how did this training land on, on, these, on, on these trainees for PAs? How welcome was the training you suggested in 2019? Again, I want to be hesitant to not call it a training because they, they got a certificate that they attended. They didn't get a certificate of competence because it, you know, it was a one-day piece. Um, they were excited about it, and um, it, was, it was really fun 
to do, and it was really fun working with the um, the people that I enlisted to be on the front line, the, the 12 senior PAs who helped out. So it was just, it was rich, and uh, the, the time went quickly, and um, there is talk about doing more training to what you're raising, Tisha, for PAs, um, and I don't know that I would be one of the people involved in that. We'll see how that unfolds, but the other the other piece the organization is growing with and having to catch up with is that most of our, all of our lead trainers are white and most of our, or all have to think so far of our assistant trainers are white and all of our participants are getting more and more mixed as they should be. Now we do have people in the pipeline to become ATs and become co-leads who aren't white. Um, but our preparation besides just staffing things differently, our preparation to really uh, have to work with our implicit bias and have to be ready for um, the microaggressions that happen and all of that. And, you know, some of that was happening even when we were all, you know, more all white trainings, but the power differential is not, the, not as multi-layered as it is as we move into this. So, Whoever's training PAs in the future and trainers, that that's a piece that's the institute's working on putting in place. So it's going to be a bigger piece when it happens. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we have people coming more from all over the world, and you know, so our you know, America is a very I don't know what I'd say culture centric or something. You know, we're we're we don't have a lot of countries near us and. Americans are kind of impressed with who they are and all of that. So it's not a great way to really open into all the different um, ways that people live and different cultural experiences and learnings that, that are on board. So it, it's a pretty important piece. That may be a little bit different in Europe. Of course. Um, because you're more mixed anyway. I see by what you are saying that the, this um, tendency to help PAs to become PAs is growing and uh, may stay. Also, there was already a manual for PAs on level one, I guess. But isn't it enough, this manual for PAs? Well, the manual would be the same as reading the IFS book for participants. You know, it's an experiential model. So if we're only reading... It only goes so if, if if we don't have that skin in the game for what's actually happening inside, then it's, you know, it's, it's up here somewhere. Um, and it's one of the things that sometimes people have done the continuity circle or other things like that and come into trainings sometimes get disappointed about because they do have more of a grasp, but they don't have the experiential piece necessarily. And then there's some disappointment about, you know, I'm ahead of this. So why are we going through this? You know, you'll get those kinds of comments, but that's why. So the manuals to help and it needs a lot more development. Um, but again, if it's just here, it's not the same as I just got really triggered. What do I do now? Do you foresee a certification process for PAs or more extensive training? down the line I, I there's talk of that it's been you know things have been talked about for a while you know the organization is suddenly over the last few years of course really hugely challenged around all this growth which you know it's a good problem but all the infrastructure isn't in place and in addition to that we have a new ceo who just started at the end of december who's 
you know, going to be putting her stamp on things. So yes, I think we'll be moving more and more into that. But you know, she's getting her feet on the ground and then uh, figuring out, you know, how to move it, move all of us forward. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think that has a, I, if it does, I don't have that information yet about what it may start to look like. Do you feel like that's a good idea? I do. Yeah. And, and in fact, I think it's crucial if we're going to not be um, hurting and harming people who are different than we are. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's crucial. But that's from the top down. I mean, the lead trainers are very much in need of that as well. And they'll probably, you know, so what, what's also happening is there's an effort to fast track ATs into co-leads because we need more trainers. And in their program, they've already had more focus on that. That's a year-long program that started in September. So they've already had a fair amount of focus on that. And, and um, that's good. And trainers need more of that. And then eventually it will, something will be crafted for, my guess is for program assistance. Rina, you just became a lead trainer recently, I guess. I don't know how recently, but... Can you can you tell us a bit about your journey becoming assistant training and and now a lead trainer? Yeah, so I, I got promoted in um, the fall of 2018. And so I'm in my fifth round of that now. So I didn't see myself going forward. First of all, I'm getting to be an older person and uh, I like the AT role. But an opening happened in Boston, and I got asked about being considered for it. And um, I had parts who were delighted, but also scared, or you know, and all of that. And yet, without me having full awareness, my system was more ready than I knew. And so, uh, so I've been co-leading. Uh, I, I had been on team with Ann Cinco and Mike Elkin for many years, and Ann was moving out of co-leading level ones, which is why the opening happened. And um, so Mike and I have, this is our third training together. And um, so that's how it happened. Are you going to travel? I did a lot of traveling when I was in AT. I haven't done nearly as much as a co-lead because first of all, there are very few co-lead trainers and um, at the moment anyway, and uh, the rhythm I was having here was fine. And I've, I've done two with Paul Neustadt in the Boston area, and I'm going to start another one in March with Steve Kranz, who's in New York, although it'll be online. So, This is a, a question that sort of jumps, it's kind of straddles um, the conversation and jumps back into the, the PA realm. But uh, how are you doing and how are PAs doing with the online trainings? Well, that's a big variation. Um, first of all, I think in general, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this and I'm hearing it from some people, not all, you know, I feel like my Zoom muscles have grown. You know, I was doing a fair amount of Zoom before the pandemic, but, you know, nowhere near 50%. And now, of course, it's all day, every day. So I was in a training last year um, where after weekend three, we had to go. That's when we went on, moved online. And there was huge grief on the staff and ang anger and frustration and disappointment and um, so that fourth weekend, there was a lot of that energy. It, it did start to work its way through. And one of the people who was on that staff who wasn't going to PA again on Zoom actually has just agreed to join this training I'm, I'm doing that was, quote, New York-based. 
So, um, so I think some people's parts are adjusting. There are some trainers as well as some um, PAs that are saying, until it's live again, I don't want to do it. Having said that, um, it's not it's not been hard to get people to PA, and I I think being a program assistant is one of the hugest learning experiences about really getting it inside. And you know, we say that a lot, so people who are interested often decide they want to apply to do it. So it's actually been going really well, and um, uh, I don't I feel it's harder to get to know the participants when you've got twenty five small boxes. Mm-hmm. And there's no talking when you go get some a cup of coffee yeah, or exactly. when I pull you aside to ask you or just, you know, schmooze a little bit. There's, there's, you know, there's almost not no room for that. What we did start doing recently, which has helped, is taking at least one space, if not two, during a weekend to break into three groups. Uh, I'm co-leading, so there's two lead trainers and an assistant trainer, and each of us running a group, mixing up the PAs and the participants, because everybody, you know, you start to feel like you have a small group for conversation, questions and answers, and that's been real. That's been the closest thing it's felt to me, like being in the big room together. So you break the whole big group into three small groups and then have it's a little bit more open forum for question and answers and getting to know personalities. Oh, that's great. And, and a conversation, you know, it's just, it had a lot of flow to it. Nice. Yeah. That hasn't, that's been missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it had to get figured out right. and maybe, you know, again, maybe we'll come up with more things, but yeah. yeah. I love the evolution. Rina, you are now in this, community, IFS community for almost 20 years, I guess. Uh, How do you see the recent uh, unfolding and booming of this community and the model? Um, Well, you know, it's very exciting. And one of the reasons I realized a few years ago that I kept coming back and doing more is because I I do come from a family of activists. And at some point a few years back, I realized, oh, this gets brought out into the world. That's one way I can make difference around make the world better, right? So that that became this melding of my love of uh, being a therapist and a, and now a teacher, but also this passion to make the world better. So um, so the fact that it's booming and growing is very exciting. Having said that, um, again, the infrastructure isn't in place, and we have lots of people who are frustrated because they can't get into trainings. There's not enough of them. And there's also, um, there's lots of places where people are saying, I've been trained in IFS when they've been to a workshop, or this is what IFS is, but they haven't done a training. That's not, that's hard. So, you know, so there's all of that that happens when something's growing like this, right? And how do you see the future for the the model? I think there's a great future for the model, and I think that... uh, you know, as, as Dick is uh, redefining the kinds of priorities he has, and I hope bringing other, you know, expanding who people see at the front of it. There's, you know, there's more of that through the continuity program and things like that. I think that helps generativity well, you know, so that it's, it's, it's in lots of people's hands to bring it forward. And then to watch it being brought into the schools and into businesses and all of that just uh, you know, even if it's not the whole model, but people are having help that we we have multiple, 
multiplicity and we can have help on blending and you know that child isn't a bad child you know that child did something or you know that it's a a part of them is acting and can we get curious about that you know all of that has huge implications i think for this depathologizing aspect that's part of the model yeah exactly so that's exciting that is really exciting yeah what about for you what what um future plans might you share with us that you have cooking up related to IFS or your work or otherwise? Two things. The the trainers have begun to uh, make more, uh, not all trainers, but many of us, uh, more of a trainer association so that we have a place to bring some shared concerns, some involved in that. And, you know, I just, I just, I guess I have interest in how the organization that holds all of us speaking to leadership from top down again can be as self-led and healthy as it can. And I I think I think we're finding ways to do that better. So um, I don't have any other immediate have tos or yeah, you know, it'd be nice to be involved in the PA training if that ever gets formalized. But that you know that could be two three years from now. So I have to have patience too. Good, wonderful. So, Rina, thank you so much for having us. It was a joy to be here with you and Tisha. And we hope we can keep meeting and sharing this model, our work and our lives. And thank you so much again for what you're bringing out to so many people, which sounds like a treasure. Thank you, Rina. It's wonderful to meet with you again. Great to see you both. <laughs>